Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me are Kendra Mauer and Morgana. Tonight, we welcome back Josh Kutchen, one of our favorite guests, and we're going to talk about a topic, which we hardly ever do, um, but we're going to talk about the topic of gray aliens and the possible connection with hungry ghosts. For those who don't know what a hungry ghost is, it is a Buddhist concept. So it's not something that we think about very often in the West, but it is a spirit of a dead human that does not want to re-enter the wheel of Dharma. And as such, they don't want to reincarnate, but they do miss bodily life. And what they miss is often the sensual things that we get to experience as embodied humans, like food and water. And Kendra, why are you about to? (laughs) (laughs) It's like food and alcohol. And you say food, and I'm like, like rotted shark. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. She just got back from Iceland. She can't help it. (laughs) Well, we made it uh, a minute and a half without (laughs) laughing. So that's, that's really good for us. Anyway, so they, they want to return to life without returning to life. That's what a hungry ghost is. They like having their spiritual powers as spirits, basically. So I think. Yeah. So Josh, what have you what have you learned about hungry ghosts? Well, I think it was <laughs> I think my voice is changing. I think it was <laughs> actually on one of our old shows where we where I think maybe it was it was one of y'all who mentioned that they saw a, a connection between the Grays and the Hungry Ghosts and it sort of got stuck in my head and I I really can't uh get rid of it and I keep on playing with it and and turning it over um, in my head. Cause there is, you know, even if you just look at some artistic depictions, there's, there are some similarities there between the hungry ghosts and the grays. But uh, you know, I think about how uh, really obsessed with aspects of being human. Uh, a lot of the grays are in a lot of the literature, um, you know, depending on what you hear there, they've sort of, you know, push themselves to the technological brink where they can't reproduce anymore, but they seem to be, you know, sex pests. They're always abducting people and doing horrible things. Um, Some of which are actually quite primitive (laughs) compared to the way that we would harvest gametes. Right. Um, But at the same time, you know, there also is uh, 
some other some other sort of pageantry of the gray that I would call it that sort of points to the uh, to the hungry ghost motif. You know, I think some of the uh, I think it might be some of the Japanese depictions. You know, there there's a tradition in Japan, and there's a tradition in Tibet. There's a tradition. So there's also even sort of a tradition that evolves out of out of Hinduism as well. So I think is the Japanese tradition um, that talks about their mouths being like as big as a needle, but their stomachs being as big as a as a mountain. And uh, if you look at the you know, the gray alien anatomy, you've got these tiny mouths, uh, which, you know, at one point I read that uh, it was a sort of a, an artistic motif, really, that you'd see small mouths among saints and holy figures in art because it was a signifier that they didn't take pleasure in earthly in earthly uh, delights. But, you know, I kind of see that and I see that description of the hungry ghost. And I'm like, well, is there, is there something to that? Um, you know, also... Uh, Anuses and genitals on greys, thin on the ground, not a lot of them there. Um, uh, so, you know, I don't know exactly know what that means. Um, but there is, yeah, there are these, these, there's an obsession with earthly delights that constantly goes unsatisfied in the gray literature, right? Like, you don't, that when they eat a lot of stories, they're rubbing themselves down with liquid or something and they're absorbing it through their skin, which is like, got to be a boring way to eat um <laughs> they're obsessed with the sexuality but they don't really seem to uh they seem to be voyeuristic about it right so there are these there are these drives and these obsessions for things that just really seem to go unfulfilled and this is where they break with the faithful in a pretty big way and that's yeah. part of what like has gotten stuck in my head as i'm thinking about this hungry ghost thing because for the fairies to be so closely associated with the dead and uh I'm going to say with a little bit of, of uh, bragging that I, I, I've written the definitive guide to how the fairies are like the dead <laughs> that is forthcoming um, way too much, way too much to write about on that topic. But like for, for, for the fairies to be so associated with the dead, they seem to be, you know, uh, well, they seem to be accepting dead, right? They seem to be accepting of their fate because you think about the things that they do. They're all about celebrating those earthly pleasures, which they can, still can do. Yeah. And they still are satisfied with, you know, they like, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a strong food component in fairy lore. There's a strong sexual component in fairy lore. That's not this, you know, voyeuristic, um, technological, <laughs> you know, component. Um, they're always dancing. They're always partying. They're always drinking. Like, so, so it's almost like uh, you have these two groups of, I would argue the same phenomena because I can't separate, you know, the alien thing and the fairy thing really well anymore. But at the same time, this is a pretty fundamental difference in the way they act. So I wonder if that there's, if there's not some sort of other motivator behind um behind that sort of expression of these, of these myth themes. Yeah. I, I, that's the, that's the big difference. I, when people go, well, you know, the greys are just our version of goblins or the fairies or, you know, it, Whitley Stryber even calls the little blue guys kobolds and, you know, trolls or, you know, things like that. But the, the fairies always seem to be having fun. You know, the, the only description I've ever heard of the Greys seeming to have a good time was Tim Renner's vision of these little 
grays dressed up in feathers and and brightly colored feathers, the unnaturally colored, like psychedelic feathers and jewelry and dancing around in this tribal dance in his room. You know, that's the only time I've ever heard of them actually doing something that seemed to me like fun. And it seems yeah. very like in that way. Yeah, it's it's the sort of thing that I've found, like, even when they're doing fun things, they're always, like, so calculating about it that they don't really seem to be having fun. The other example that springs to mind, and I don't have the reference offhand, but there's an um, an issue of the MUFON UFO Journal um, from back in, like, the early 2000s, I think, where an experiencer claimed that there were aliens dressed up as cowboys line dancing. Um, oh, that's awesome. which is an amazing image that I absolutely love. Um, but, but again, I think that they were like being really like mechanical about it and they were just sort of going through the motions because it was supposed to teach her something of memory serves. So, uh, yeah, even, even when they're supposed to enjoy things, there's never really an enjoyment there. Um, you know, almost like an addict that can't, that, that has stopped being in love with the thing that, you know, is controlling them. Yeah. They're also, they're almost, mechanical is the right word for them, I think, is they're, they're very all head, no heart, and their bodies are so undersized that their heads being so large almost implies more, more weight to the life of the mind. And they frequently don't actually speak with their mouths. And so there's this, like, their bodies are almost wizened away, and it's all just the power of their mind, which could be taken as the power of their spirit, I suppose, as well. Because yeah, it's sorry, it, it's not very to me. To me, it is less scientific and more magical to speak mentally rather than physically. Yeah, I have a big hang-up about that. Um, I've gotten into some arguments online. <laughs> trademark um <laughs> uh, with with people who who don't seem to understand that the presence of telepathy would falsify materialism and i'm like look it's not me saying this like here's you know seven scientific philosophers including karl popper love him or hate him but you know i'm not him right that's that's a that's a name um who has said that you know uh the, the presence of psi phenomena like telepathy would uh, not only would not only not would not only not have a place in materialism slash physicalism, but would like outright refute it. And people, I don't know, I don't know how you reconcile the two, but people try to. And I think what they get hung up on is the idea that uh, that would somehow mean that we couldn't use airplanes and like you know, medical technology anymore. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, well, materialism doesn't mean anything, so we shouldn't use any of this stuff. Uh, and it's not like everything that we've, everything that we've gained under the materialist model, a lot of it's good. Like, we can keep a lot of that. That's fine. Uh, and the analogy that I use is that uh, if I add, like, red to a black and white film, it doesn't take away the black and the white, but you can't call it a black and white film anymore, right? It's black, white, and red. <laughs> um so I, I think that's, you know, I think that's the real way out that people need to to think of. But yeah, I mean, I, to your point, Morgana, um, I remember there was an interview that Stan Friedman did one time where he was, you know, talking about the the Hill case, which we were talking about earlier um, off the air. 
And he was like, well, I'm pretty sure that any advanced uh, species would have found a way to do that. I'm like, what? That doesn't make, that doesn't, because thoughts are not supposed to be anything, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's magical thinking. And I think that what you were getting at with, in terms of the, uh, the appearance of the grays, like, I think that encoded in that image is a lot of things. And I think that you're right to say that, you know, the emphasis on the brain or the head implies, you know, more intelligence, even though brain size is not correlated to intelligence, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. Um, it's, a, it's an assumption everybody makes. Um, and then the, the way that they're all atrophied, it's like the only things that work on them are their brains. Like sometimes they don't even, sometimes they're not even great with like picking things up. They're using some yes. psi powers to move stuff. Yeah. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> and again, contrasting that with the fairy folk, you know, you have fairies who are master craftsmen. Yeah. You know, craftspeople. Um, and are beautiful physically, that are beautiful. physically beautiful and make beautiful songs and like have beautiful voices and bring good smells with them and grays are like stinky cold metal me like mechanical movements and have like weird dry voices and all these things and i'm like you are the opposite of so many things with fairy lore while having tons yeah. of similarities yeah and i don't know if that's cultural expectations or i mean i honestly think that y'all hit on something with this hungry ghost thing um i just wish that I wish that I wasn't writing what I'm writing so I could just write about this. <laughs> it's a lot more focused. Um, no, but I, I, I really think you did hit on something and it's, um, it's, I don't, I don't know what that means that it's that the, the grays specifically, because if you start to broaden this to be like space brothers and stuff, that's an easier connection to make right with the, mm -hmm. with the fairies, especially like theosophic ideas and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know why the grays are like a three quarters match. It's almost like their, their methods are the same, but their character is completely different. I don't know if that means something. And of course the grays kind of took over the human imagination as to what a UFO occupant looks like. There used to be much more of a broad, you know, difference among them they were all these different things there were the little short hairy dwarves and then there were the big tall venusians with the blonde hair and then there were the dark-skinned swarthy kind of oriental looking or joe simonton said they looked italian that they looked italian they were dark-skinned with black hair big black eyes long fingers long fingers seem to be an attribute that's fairly common. And then you have stuff like the Pascagoula. God knows what those were. You know, those the, horrible creatures with the, the, the carrot headed mummy. Yes. The mummy carrot headed that, elephant mummy. Yeah. Yeah. That, ooh. I really felt for those guys when I was a kid and I read about that. I, that gave me nightmares. I didn't like it. Um, that was scary. Uh, you know, but there were so many different kinds of beings. And then there were some short, big-headed beings, but they often had things like pointed ears. You know, the Hopkinsville goblins had the the big ears and the the big eyes. Well, and, 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 and let's be, way down. And, and let's be clear, like the the big-headed, big-eyed fey folk is something that you'll find way back. Oh, yeah. You know? um, yeah. And by way back, I mean like 
19th century. I'm sure you can push it even farther back, but like that, that, you know, proceeds because everybody always likes to point to like close encounters of the third kind or, you know, lamb, you know, the entity that was supposedly summoned by, uh, you know, Aleister Crowley. But I was watching, I was watching TV the other day or I was, I wasn't watching. I was seeing, Oh yeah. I was, I was watching, I was watching Loki, which kind of has a wizard of Oz sort of thing Mm -hmm. going on about it. And I was, and I thought to like the way that the wizard looked before the curtain was moved. Yeah, and I'm like, why is why is that not entered the UFO entity discussion? Because it's like this big headed green guy. Yep. Oddly enough, I, I looked into it. Nobody really knows who played that. Who played that that head? Oh God, um, it's like Nosferatu. Yeah, and it's it, but it's it's kind of it's kind of lamby, you know. Yeah, um, it does look kind of like lamb. And that's like thirty nine, you know. Um, and and to say to say nothing of like the other abduction motifs in that story, right? Yeah. So you you've got the uh, you've got the orchestrator of it all, uh, using glamour <laughs> to have a giant to pr- to present a giant green head. Um, and you've got you know the abducting whirlwind, which is a very very common portal yep. to the other world in a lot of different mythology. Um, she's dropped down into this magical, beautiful realm of, of little people, um, quite literally little people. Um, I'm just, I was just spitballing on all that, but then you, then you fold in witchcraft with that too. And, you know, there's, there's, don't forget the orb that floats around the pink. That's right. There's the orb with Glenda and you've got, you've got this sort of seely, unseely sort of battle between the witches. Um, And uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that if you dug deep enough, there's some really weird theosophical stuff going on there below the surface. It just has that feel, right? Well, theosophy um, is kind of in everything from that's true when that was written, anyway. It, well, it, yeah, it and, and yeah, wiggled its way into everything. Well, and like in so much of our con- our concepts of the paranormal too. I mean, it's yeah. just it's it's mind-boggling how influential that is still to this day like the main reasons that we think that fairies were nature spirits is paracelsus and and theosophy yeah um uh but anyway i just just, it's interesting to me like people i don't i've never really heard anybody talk about the 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 wizard himself sorry we strayed a bit from from hungry ghosts but it's not good a little bit that where the road dude the wizard of oz being being an alien is great (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah and you know the 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 abducting monkeys and i think you could there, there's an there's an essay in there somewhere for sure yeah the creepy the creepy I hated those monkeys. yeah the monkeys it's... were what scared me in that movie yeah um oh and her her henchmen her henchmen are gray the guys with the russian hats oh the oh yeah those guys oh yeah yeah um there's that, and you know, uh, Kendra, you were talking about the monkeys, and now I can't get that out of my head. They've got the, the monkeys have this sort of Harlequin look to it, which the yes. scarecrow kind of does too. And then the Harlequin as a character is just that's all kind I mean, of uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's connected to the Wild Hunt and uh, demons, and is a recurring motif. You know, the Earl King Harlequin, um, all these different things. Um, but yeah. Um, so like I I, I kind of tend to push back when people are like, "Oh, communion is where the gray alien started." It's like, 
No, <laughs> no, there are a lot of a lot of earlier things. Yeah, I don't think they started there, but I think that's when it became what we see when we think alien. And I well, part of that is the book cover just yes. was everywhere it's and still everywhere. is, and that's the imprint people have when they think alien now. Well, yeah, that and like I think it was, I think it was also just I mean like. There's something about the zeitgeist of the 90s that really just, you know, burned that into people's brains. Like, everywhere you looked, that was, like, the alien image. Um, Yeah, there was the X-Files squishing it into our brains. And Speaking of mummies. Yeah. Funny funny story. I don't know if I've shared this with y'all. Y'all might have heard it. But, like, you you do know that I was, like, I could not, like, look at a picture of a gray alien, right? It bothered me. Like, like I couldn't even look at it. Yeah, um, I I think I, I attribute it to my father showing me Close Encounter of the Third Kind way too early. But I, like I was deathly afraid, like into my twenties of of it. Now I look at it all the time. Now you know, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's what is it conditioning therapy or or um, desensitization <laughs> therapy? I guess desensitization. Yes. Yeah. Um. Um. That book though, I I never watched the film until like two weeks ago. Because the book scared me so damn much that I was like, I don't want to see the movie. You know, (laughs) I was like, I don't need to see it to be afraid because he wrote it in such a way that I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, I I started the film about three weeks ago for the first time myself on Amazon. I didn't finish it, (laughs) Um, but I started the first little part of it. yeah, there's something there's something arresting about that image, and there's something something primal about it too. Um, and you know, you can draw some comparisons to that and the picture of the skull, or again, some of the hungry ghost imagery. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think or it was Miguel. A fetus. I think, or yeah, or a fetus. Very, very true. I think there's something to that. Definitely. Um, I found. Where was it? I found a wild. Let's see if I can look this up. I found a wild uh, letter that I think it was Hal Pudolf wrote in. Yeah, he wrote into the nineteen in a, a, a nineteen eighty two edition of Flying Saucer Review. And Hal Pudolf said, and I quote, Since UFO occupants are often reported to have the appearance of young children, or more often fetuses, has anyone ever looked for a correlation between close encounters of the third kind and miscarriages or stillborns in the family of contactees? The concept I wish to raise is that perhaps other dimensionals begin entry into our realm during the process of birth, and those that abort for some reason or another end up participating in a reality that is closely tied to the physical realm, both with regards to their own personal form and with regard to the desire to interact with us, sort of half-maidens as they were. I thought that was an interesting idea coming from old Hal. Um, That's really Out of nowhere. That instantly makes me think about Limbo, which is where unbaptized babies go and the realm of the hungry ghosts being above Earth, but not quite in the the right part of the wheel of Dharma, not quite in the celestial wheel. I mean, yeah, I I almost think that like sometimes the unbaptized baby thing is less about like, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, it's about like the church saying that you're not saved and you died when you're not saved, but it's it, but like on a deeper level, it's almost about, um, 
about unfulfilled potential, you know, and that sort of taps into this almost egregoric nature of the hungry ghosts and the way that they are like almost literally embodies uh, embodiments of certain drives, certain desires and, you know, some degree of unfulfilled potential or, you know, um, a life cut short, I think is kind of tapping into the same thing. Yeah. And not quite life. Well, you know, it's it's like it's all like old Uncle Hal said, like you know, uh, the half maidens, yeah, yeah, um, straddling the line. Um, anyway, I, I thought that was interesting because it's you know, well, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, which uh, you know, I never would have thought when I got into this that liminality would be so important, but it's like one of the most important things. It's everywhere. You... Well, that, that, so, so that's my problem with it sometimes, right? It's like you, you can end up getting like liminality pareidolia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he noticed the light when he was walking from the couch to the refrigerator. He noticed the light. That's liminal. You know what I mean? Or like, you know, I was, you know, I, I'd been to school earlier that day and I was going back the next day, but I was at home. So that's liminal. Well, it's not really, you know, liminal. I've just stopped myself from, from doing that song. Yeah, you have but, to you uh, have to be careful with that. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, Miguel Romero, Red Pill Junkie, um, had listened to our our episode where we talked about where he first broached the topic of greys and hungry ghosts, and he pointed out how much ET looks like <laughs> the the, uh, the depictions of the hungry ghosts. I'm like, it looks a lot like it. Yeah, which is why he's creepy. <laughs> I, I guess so, right? Um, I uh, was just speaking with a friend of my wife's who uh, who was terrified of ET as a kid. And, I was um, not fond of him either because he's a creepy little frick. He's a creepy little fucker. All right. Her, yeah. He, I, 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 I don't disagree. Right? Like I had a little <laughs> bit of that going on too. Um, but his idea of of like getting her over her fear was to send her away to a sleepover with an ET sleeping bag. <laughs> oh my god! Oh no! Which is like. That's horrible. That's horrible. That's ew. Hey, oh, that's. But uh, but yeah, like yeah, he's got the pot belly and he's got the mouth. I guess is is his mouth smaller? Can't remember. But um, his mouth's fairly small. Pretty small. Well, and so what's interesting to spin off of that is um, thin neck. You know that ET started off as a Kelly Hopkinsville movie, right? Mm-hmm. I vaguely read that once. Yeah, it was like going to be called like night skies or something i don't have off the top of my head but like you can still find some of the of the maquettes and the, the puppet designs that they had which look like evil et's which look even more like hungry ghosts you can find some of the original designs that they did they didn't have the it wasn't super kelly hopkinsville um with the ears and all that but uh you can still find some of those evil et sculptures that they did and uh, i think the memory serves the plot line of that was going to have like one nice alien uh help out the family and that sort of just evolved into et and they abandoned the other 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 project um but yeah et looks a lot like a hungry ghost and and you know there are there are some other fairy connections too i don't want to make it sound like they're not um you know some people have found connections between the uh hindu concept of the the preta ghosts uh, and hungry ghosts, and they're like the size of your thumb, which yeah. 
you don't normally see fairies that small until like after the invention of like the microscope um to the extent that like there are some scholars who think that that's literally what inspired fairies to shrink even more to even tinier sizes um but you have those and then you also have some traditions where they do eat things but they eat like foul things like they eat like feces and corpses and stuff which brings to mind the way that fairy food is always a sham um yeah Leaves, so I don't know if that's a yeah. rotted material or worms mushrooms and that you can eat and bugs and rotted shark. And and uh rotted shark. Strum str what was it? What was it called? Strum string? Pick, yeah. Yeah. Morgana's pickles. Pickles <laughs> are good, dang it. <laughs> um but uh, you know that's that's a gin thing too, you know. Where oh Oh dear. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Um I thought that was on vibrate. Um but that's a that's a gin thing as well. Um cloaking things with with uh glamour that are that are nasty and, and consuming them. Um and uh also some there was an abductee out of the Philippines. We talked was y'all it was y'all that was talking about um Amal Jamaluddin, right? We talked about him a little bit, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a. Uh, I think I think I'm getting his first name right. I'm pretty sure I'm getting his last name right. He's a, uh, a researcher who specializes in a lot of Southeastern Asian stuff that not a lot of people know about his his work, and he's done some really fascinating stuff with the uh, the Buni or the Bunian, which are sort of like the forest people of um, you know island Southeast Asia. And there is an account in one of those of a gentleman who was like a night watchman um, who was taken away to this magical palace overnight and uh, fed this miraculous food. And when he returned with missing time, uh, he apparently was vomiting up like worms and grass. So it's like yeah. the most, if that, if that story is to be believed, I mean, it's, it's almost so on the nose and so perfect. I kind of wonder if it's true, but, but uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's right on it same thing yeah that's scary that's there's lots of stories about the people of the trees in southeast asia where they'll you hear singing in the in the jungle and they'll come for you you'll see lights and then they come for you and take you away and, and you hear evil laughter yes and that's laughter. the sign that you're gonna get snatched oh yeah and then the next person who comes back hears your voice among the voices yeah yep, yep. Yeah, that's the thing that I think gets overlooked a lot with a lot of a lot of people looking at paranormal stuff is that sort of uh, assimilation that you find in so many of these stories. You know, um, you know, this unbaptized baby that the wild hunt has taken becomes a rider on the wild hunt. Um, you know, if you take food from the from the book was you become a Bigfoot for the rest of your days, you know? And I think that, I think that maybe speaks to, uh, to the human element and all this. Um, you know, I think this line of thinking is, is pretty, pretty ripe for uh, criticism in terms of being anthropocentric. Um, but the way that I've been looking at it lately is that we just have, there is an ecology of souls out there and souls are kind of all the same 
let's use a podcast friendly term goo right <laughs> they're all the same goo and they and they're and they're just they're laundered through everything you know so you have pe- like you have pieces of of you wind up in a rock after you die and and those pieces might wind up with might wind up in a you know a player piano that's like 75% you and then all that winds up in a person that you know that's kind of an idea that I'm, I've been playing with a lot right now, and I think that's a good way of of sort of thinking that it is all us in terms of not not in our minds all us, but like all us, this intimate relationship we have that we have with the other, um, without going down that oh it's just all humans, humans are the greatest thing in the world sort of rabbit hole. Well, I wondered years and years ago if what we were looking at wasn't disembodied human souls. Or there was a hierarchy of souls or a multiplicity of souls that, you know, say the fairies are maybe some disembodied human souls that come together into a slightly big, quote unquote, bigger soul. And that's a fairy. And then you have demigods or daimon that are slightly more human souls squished together, more goo, bigger pieces of goo floating about doing their things. Same with gin, you know, bigger bits squished together. The afterlife, it's like an onion. It's got layers. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then it's like, know. it's it's like, it's like an onion with gumbo in the middle. It's like a gumbo onion. <laughs> gumbo onion. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then really confusing interconnected gumbo onion is, (laughs) and that's why the dead are seen with angels. The dead are seen with demons. The dead are seen with fairies. The dead are seen with greys. The dead and the gray and aliens both contact you through spirit channeling. I mean, it's, it's, it's in some ways it, it, it sort of gets back to the thing that I've often thought is that like the, we are not the center of the universe, but, we by nature of the way that we report the paranormal and the way that we perceive the world, like the paranormal revolves around us because we're the ones we're the only ones who report it. Right. You know, I mean like we're right. the only ones who make observations about it. So, well, um, and we're future ghosts. So we are future ghosts be- or, or past ghosts or past ghosts. Yes. Um, or, present or, you know, ghosts. Um, yeah. Or present ghosts. That's, that's something that's always um interesting. You know, you'll find, uh, this is an idea that 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 uh, Whitley Strieber and, and Jeff Crapple played with in their book The Supernatural a little bit, which, which was uh, the idea that this is this is Sheol, you know, this is the underworld, and that's the actual real world because that's what you hear all the time, right? It's realer than real it, near death experience. It was realer than real alien abduction. It's realer than real. Yeah, this, I saw the fairies' wings, and they were colors I'd never seen before. You know, an interesting thing that I heard, uh, I went to elf school in Iceland. There was this guy that we so was talking awesome. about. Elf oh, it's fantastic. I'm so jealous of you. Oh, it's amazing. And at some point I'm going to write about it. it. There's just so much to think about. But one of the things that the Hulda folk have been reported to say is you are our hidden people. And I kind of, I, I love that idea where it's, we're just all like, layers of the onion yeah this is something that i i hadn't really considered but um but when i was looking at you know looking through the literature and stuff you you do see 
fairies crying at births and and laughing at funerals. And I don't think that's just because they're you know they're they're, they're d bags. Um, <laughs> I think that mm-hmm. that might actually indicate that there's this you know this this passage of this handing off of of souls from one version one place into another. Same thing, you know. Uh, it was Terrence McKenna's big thing when you break into the DMT room, you know. The gnomes have found a new way to shout hooray! <laughs> yeah. um, they, they were always so excited to see him, you know. Um, and I have other ideas about that, but I'm not going to sh- show my hand too much. But I think that, Kinder, you are spot on about that in terms of in terms of noticing that as an important facet. Um you know, Whitley Stryber in A New World talks about how he wonders if it isn't just that we have these two universes or worlds just right up against each other and we're going back and forth and they're going back and forth. And that's part of what the realm of the dead or fairyland or whatever you want to call it is, is it's another universe and we just go back and forth. We're phase shifters, essentially. Yeah, there's there's a word that I can't get out of my head. That um, do y'all, any of y'all re- read uh, Neil Rushton's Dead but Dreaming blog? Yes, I love that book so he, much. I, yeah, I love his work. Um, he uh, he used a word describing the Welsh otherworld, which I'm not going to embarrass myself by pronouncing. Um, but he used the term imbricated. It's imbricated upon our reality. And I love that idea. The idea that's like almost like uh, when you look at a 3D image without your 3D glasses on, you know, <laughs> and then you put your 3D glasses on and it, shoop, you know, it lines up perfectly. I really, I really love that idea. And that, you know, that sort of is a parsimonious way of explaining that thinness between worlds that you see everywhere. And, you know, it kind of is it's the upside down. Like, I don't mean to be cheesy about it, but like that's there, there's, there's, there's a, there's a parsimony to that description that I think is really interesting. Um, and again, I'm going to keep on trying to steer this back to hungry ghosts, right? <laughs> <laughs> not, not for us. Like I could just, run like this all but I know that there's going to be some listeners like, Oh, they said they'd be talking about damn hungry ghosts and they're not talking about no hungry ghosts. Um, <laughs> elves. Yeah, right. um, I think the thing that the Hungry Ghost tradition teaches us, and this is something that you know, as growing up as a Christian, I always had a had a had a problem with, um, because you know, in, in Christianity they say if you if you think of something, it's as bad as doing it. That's the basic teaching. You know, if you thought if you send in your mind, you send real life, right? And I, I still I still have a problem with that, but I think what that teaching is trying to get at is something similar to what the hungry ghost tradition teaches is that extreme impulses, right? Or like, let's just, let's just go ahead and go full on, you know, middle ages here, extreme like sins um, have, have make an impression of some sort in another realm. Right. Yeah. And this is, you know, something you'll mean like the number of people, um, that I've talked to in recovery who have had paranormal experiences, sometimes directly related to their addiction is absolutely startling. Um, you know, every single one of them. 
uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's also tying into that other thing that you'll hear from a lot of, you know, conservative Christians that, you know, I don't want to watch that movie because it has scary images that, uh, that, you know, might influence my heart or something like that. And I'm like, whatever, it's a movie. Right. But I, but again, I think that, I think that it's, it's, it's sort of a, a naive way of getting at something that might actually have some validity to it as embodied in the hungry ghost tradition. Well, and there's a decent amount of backup for that. You know, there's Greek traditions of how you were punished in the afterlife directly correlated to your actions in life you got a tailor-made punishment for you. Like, so it clearly resonated into the other world. Well, like it it has to be poetic, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they Um, got, they got that way in the medieval uh, Christian ideas too, about hell is that they, it didn't just, it wasn't just a general lake of fire. They got, they got a little special with it too. And they would, thank you, Dante. Yes. Dante (laughs) did that. And, and, uh, you know with his with his wonderful paintings which i'll link to in the show notes because it's great great stuff but yeah his their ideas of hell became this this very tailored to you to the individual soul kind of thing see now i want a bumper sticker that says thanks dante i want to make it like (laughs) I want to make it like the thanks Obama, but for 2021. Thanks, Dante. Yeah. <laughs> Dante Alighieri, we all blame you. <laughs> Seventh circle. Thanks, Dante. Everybody oh, be man. like, who's that Dante guy? <laughs> <laughs> Is he running for president? <laughs> I don't <He's> know. A... <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> he runs a pizzeria. <laughs> Is it that guy from that convenience store? Convenience store. That movie with with like Jay and Silent Bob. Is that right? (laughs) What did he do, dude? A convenience store is like the seventh circle of hell, though. I imagine if you have to work there. That's why his name was Dante. Because that's just difficult to deal with that many people all day. I uh. Yeah, that's what's interesting to me is like you were talking about convenience stores being like the seventh circle of hell and it got me thinking you know, there are so many people out there who are like looking for ideas for a book or um, or conversely like fall back on rehashing you know, Rendlesham for like the 20th time or Roswell or something and like just, just I wish people would just think outside of the box like haunted convenience stores you know and look and look at that Which data they're set thing. they're a thing well well look at that data set and then see if some sort of trend doesn't emerge you know the haunted like, 7-eleven and the exploding twinkies <laughs> well yeah i mean it's it's like it's like the it's like one of the mo- got to be one of the most liminal places that there is right oh yeah definitely um, and then if if you look at like David Metcalf stuff about you know the uh, gas station grimoires and stuff like that, like these little chat books that you'll find in some places, and you know little shrines behind. I mean, honestly, like I've seen some of the most syncretic um, 
stuff behind behind a, a convenience store's checkout counter. Like it's like Jesus and Vishnu just hanging out together. I'm like, what is that's interesting. Um so yeah, hungry ghosts going to the convenience store for a bag of potato chips. <laughs> that they can't have would be another syncretic focus of a place, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um mobile altars. I used to have a mobile altar in my car. I don't I care have. if it rains or freezes. <laughs> what is I got my plastic Jesus? <laughs> uh, except it was it was my uh plastic buddy Christ, but you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, so, so I mean, yeah, I just, I just, I think there's a lot of little avenues like that that people can can look into. And case in point, I um, I believe this was a convenience store. I was speaking with a ghost hunter who had gone to a haunted convenience store and it was like dead as a doornail all night. But when they got back to their house, they were like checking their equipment, and every one. Someone I spoke to firsthand. Every one of their batteries were corroded. Wow. And I find that really interesting because I looked at, I, I, I did a little bit of poking around. And it's like, I mean, I'm sure that there are chemical catalysts that you can make that happen. But for you to have brand new batteries, it almost implies some sort of temporal effect, right? Like it almost implies that there's some sort of your batteries had missing time or something. I love I, I love that that idea. Um, or extra time. Oh yeah, I guess it would be extra time, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. For them to get corroded. Yeah. To get to get corroded um, inside a a enclosed, you it know, it takes a long time. A, to corrode yeah. a battery anyway it takes yeah. a really long time to corrode a battery that's not exposed to the elements yeah it's it's completely enclosed in the device that it's powering so it usually takes air and uh it takes oxygen and it takes water vapor and if it can't you'll do it peel do it Pee. A dog's maybe, pee on maybe a ghost peed. Maybe a ghost <laughs> peed all over the. Okay, if it is a convenience store, that is possible because people do crazy stuff in convenience mm. stores. Yeah, but like, I think all the time. I believe that this was like an, an, a, this was an investigation overnight. Oh, okay. So I don't think you like left them out. And again, like I don't, I don't, I don't know. It could be an exaggeration. It could have not been new batteries. But the way I was told was new batteries, um, corroding overnight. That's pretty wild. Yeah, I like that one. Um, has nothing to do with hungry ghosts, but I <laughs> no, <laughs> it has to do ghosts. But it has to do with no, ghosts. and they could have been hungry because they're in a convenience store. That could have been a snack run. That's true. Or urinating ghosts, I guess. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they might have used bathroom. Yeah. Well, that's what you do at a gas station, right? Exactly. <laughs> Snacks, <to> bathroom. bathroom. <laughs> um. You know, one of the things that I noticed 
as I was rereading A New World last night by Whitley Stryber. Thank you. That's I was going to bring something up about that, but yes, continue. That One of the me. things I noticed was he talks about how they clearly don't want to take over the the world. They don't want to take us over. And I found, I read this passage and I was like, this reminds me of a passage in another book. And I had to go looking. So in this passage, he says, to conclude, I can only say that with the capabilities that they display, the visitors could have invaded us and subjected us to their control years ago. I doubt that the subjugation of the whole planet would have taken them more than a week. I can easily believe it would have taken a matter of seconds, but it didn't happen. And I think it is safe to say that they have another motive. And what it reminded me of was he said that, let's see, they are a distinct race between our own and that of spirits. And they have said, as they have told me, their qualifications are tremendous. We could cut off half the human race, but would not, for we expect salvation. We make the old young, the big small, and the small big. Evans Wentz. Yes. Forgot who, I forgot where he was when he recorded that. Uh, I believe it was um, Ireland. It was one of okay. the fairy seers. And he's, he, you know, he says, we would cut off half the human race, but we won't, for we expect salvation. And then this is paralleled by, it is safe to say they have another motive. Yeah, so that sort of flies in the face of all of our, our hand-wringing, right? I mean, we're talking about how, oh, there, you know, there are these differences but between, you know, the, the graves and the, and, and the fairies. But then you read something like that, and it's such a an elegant, um, I've probably used this word too much already, but parsimonious sort of of uh, parallel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's 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 and it's so specific. Um, in in a, in a in actually, what I suspect is an important way, right? Um, yes, I That's suspect that, bad. like, yeah, like I, I suspect that because that's talking about philosophy and demeanor and character and plans that that is more fixed than any sort of appearance or anything along those lines. Um, you know, that also brings to, uh, also brings to my mind, uh, you know, people always want to say that, you know, there's that old fort quote about, I believe that we're property and Whitley having that experience where he's told, you know, he says, you have no right to do this. And they say, we have every, every right. right. Um, but also this quote from uh, Croft and Croker that talked about, like, each of the elves had divided amongst uh, themselves the halves of men and treated them sort of like their livestock. Like, it's, it's again, that really specific idea mm -hmm. um, that keeps cropping up. And it's just so darn intimate, you know, yes. it's just that that's, that's the thing that keeps coming back to me time and time again, is just how intimate it is. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of uh, irritated with with Whitley because I'm kind of gonna have to write an entire chapter just on his thinkings because he, he's he's written about like this this razor thin line between um, the dead and the visitors more than I, I think anybody else. Really. I think yeah, I think you're right. Um, and some of his ideas that he has, or some of the things that he claims, and I say this is like you know a Whitley stand, right? Like I'm. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've spoken with him, a very sincere and nice gentleman. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's any, regardless of what you want to say about what happened to him or didn't happen to him, he, he is 100% in belief that it ha- that something anomalous happened to him, right? So that's, that's I think, is, you know. Now, whether or not, you know, as, as our mutual friend Greg Bishop would say, whether or not you would have seen the same thing that night, you know, in upstate New York in the cabin, if you were a hundred, you know, a hundred yards away with a, you know, with a telescope or some binoculars, like, I don't know, but like something, something anomalous seems to have happened to him. Um, and like some of the ideas that he talks about in, in a new world are just, I I'm really in love with, like uh, there's one portion where he talks about being visited by, not quite men in black, as I recall. They were more like just G-men, right? And they visit him in the middle of the night, and they tell him that his implant is not an alien implant. It is technology for communicating in the afterlife with Anne, which is one of the things that he says he, he communicates with, um, one of the means that he communicates with her. And they said that it was, um, it was technology designed from beyond the grave by Constantine Raldiv. Who is and the EVP guy? The EVP guy. He's um. There are these recordings that you can find of supposedly afterlife communication, and it was this. And I just love the idea of like uh, spirits of the dead working on technology to reach us, like because those things don't go together in, in our, you know in our Western cosmology, right? Like, there's no such thing as there's no need for technology or it's- anything. You are our hidden people. Yes. Thomas Edison. Mm-hmm. Thomas Edison. Some a spirit who claimed to be Thomas Edison contacted a group of people and taught them how to make a spirit phone. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I just remember that. You're right. You're right. Um which is like the last thing Thomas said. I would expect that of Tesla. Well, and, and, and the other thing that you know brings to mind, um, because you know, I I don't think I quite would have put that together, Kendra. I was just thinking about the way that the um, the afterlife is sometimes explicitly described as like a mirror mm-hmm. of of our world, but that's a, the exact same concept right there. You are yeah, you are our hidden people. Yeah, the mirror um, universe is what uh, Whitley Stryber calls it in a new world. That's one of the the ways he he talks about it. I didn't remember that. Okay. You guys, I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things he said is I get knowledge from them. My life becomes richer. They get relief from me because they share his experiences, his, his sensual experiences of life. Yes, it is a game. And just as Shakespeare said, this, this is a theater and we are the players. He didn't think about the audience. 
I put in parentheses, Shakespeare's audience was God. That was what he was thinking about, Whitley. You, you didn't pay attention in 12th grade English. <laughs> that's okay. Um, and then he says, they are the audience. And when they have a seat in the theater of our lives, they enjoy the great pleasure of being alive again. And that's on page 120. And then on page 140, it's interesting because, you know, at 120, it's all goodness and light and it's pretty cool. And then around one page 138, it's he starts... He starts calling them, uh, he says they hunger for our souls on page 140. And then the darkness starts creeping in. And he starts saying things like, um, "Some they are predators, just as we are predators. And so there is danger there. Uh, and then on page 172, he comes right out and says, they are hungry souls. Yeah, I At think that's one point, of those. I, I took a note in my Kindle that said, Jesus Christ, dude, do you <laughs> like have Stockholm syndrome? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> but I mean you I mean you might have just nailed it. You know. Um or conversely, I mean Conversely, if, if these are reflections of ourselves to some degree, it would make sense that you'd have this really complex love-hate relationship, yeah. you know? Because I think a lot of us do with our ourselves, right? Oh yeah. Um I think it's I think it's one of his better books that he's done, honestly. Oh, I love it. Um, I love it deeply. I think it's a very well written book. Yeah, um, Secret School and Breakthrough kind of that, that sort of area just sort of it's it all gets fuzzy. And it's like, yeah, a new world you know, where he, it's at. He, he, he is such a good writer. I, I miss some of his fiction, some of his early stuff. I loved his fiction, which is probably why Communion scared the crap out of me, because he was taking his horror writing chops and putting it to yeah. good use in his personal horror show of an experience. And that's why for years I was just like, nope, not going to watch that movie. Nope. Don't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's funny. I was, I was reading a, one of my film websites that I go to and some, and one of them was like talking about like, you've got to watch communion. It was, they had an article. You've got to watch communion because it's bonkers and it's, you know, goofy and wild. And part of that's Christopher Walken, right? Like he's, he's, he's walking it up. Real hard oh, that movie. But uh but it, it really struck home to me like how much how much people don't understand how absurd and dreamlike these encounters can be. Yeah. Um you know it, it really underscored to me like how nobody outside of our small, small bubble um knows about high strangeness and if they did they just say well that's just proof that it's all you know bs um and i think that there's a, i think there's a lesson in that like i think that like to a degree i think that might be the purpose of high strangeness you know it's that it's that old uh you know thing that the oh, was he in nebraska the police officer was abducted and they said we want you to believe in us but not too much yeah you know. that's nebraska 
And Valet in Messengers of Deception posits that part of why high strangeness is so strange is to keep scientists away from it and from studying it because it just looks too ridiculous. It's the, it's the boggle factor. It's what Jack Hunter calls the boggle factor, the boggle. Of right. Like you can accept, okay, I can accept that mediums talk to the dead. All right. I can accept that there may be a way in the afterlife. Okay. And then, okay. I can accept that physical mediums might be able to manifest lights that flash in the darkness. Okay. I can accept that. And then we get to ectoplasm. No, I can't accept that because that was proven to be a hoax in the 19th century. And then no, the table didn't levitate. I don't care what you saw. It No. Or I don't or, care what I saw when I was sitting there. That table did not levitate, even if it was flying through the air. Or I can accept that the souls of the dead can speak through a medium, but I can't accept that spacemen are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or, 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 or I can't accept that a dead scientist... Designed made a fairy phone, or yeah, <laughs> a, yeah, in, in the afterlife, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I'm actually working. I'm contributing to Jack's next essay collection, and it's focusing. You know, it's it's it part. It's like his boggle factor book, but um, my my essay is going to be focusing on uh, the language of disorienting cinema in these encounters. And uh, there's something that I read about a while back. Um, like basic, like a screenwriting 101, which was like what the uh, the teacher was calling double mumbo jumbo. Like you can't do double mumbo jumbo. So <laughs> unless, so unless you're looking for a laugh, you can't have zombie space werewolves. Like pick one, you know. <laughs> um, which is why I, which just sounds to me like a good, as good a reason. Like if if that's the reaction that we have to zombie space werewolves then what sort of a reaction will you have when some when a witness says, as they did in one of my favorite Rosales database entries, that they were approached by, like, you know, seven-foot-tall bananas covered in terry cloth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same It's the same reaction. It's yep. that, don't believe in this too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that statement and we rearrange atoms, those are my two favorite and I think most true things that non-human intelligences have said to humans. I think those are the most revealing things they have ever said about themselves. But then you go back into the whole old, you know, that Swedenborg thing about, you know, the spirits being unreliable narrators. So. Oh, well, they always are. That's why so, I, mean, I don't generally believe anything they said except for those two things. <laughs> but then you go but then you go back to good disinformation and you yeah, realize exactly. that it always contains one or two nuggets of truth. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it seems like they play a game of disinformation just as much as a game to interact with us and perhaps experience life through us or with us. Or use us as snacks. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's, there is like a, there's, I want to call it parasitic, right? I want to call it parasitic in the sense that there is this sort of Robert Kirk secret commonwealth co-walker walking with you that's eating all your food, right? 
or but but then I but then I step back and I say and I say well is that experiencing with us um is it parasitic or is it just a part of us right you know it's something that I I really don't like the idea of because I want there to be some sort of exotic other at play but it comes back to that idea of you know us kind of being at the center of all this and I am surprised at how many connections I find to doubles in all this stuff. Um, yeah. Which, you know, ties to the idea of having multiple, you know, um, polypsychism, multiple souls, and the idea that they can wander and, you know, how, how, do, how do you, how does one perceive one's own soul exteriorized, especially when it could, you know, metamorphose into any number of things, you know? Kind of hard to say that's not, you know, a Bigfoot or, you know, it's not Whitley's, uh, it's hard to say it's not Whitley's philia, you know, his Norse, his Norse female side who is, you know, putting him through the ringer in some of his stuff. It's, 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 it's hard to draw that distinction. Um, you know, is, is your familiar really a, fam- you're familiar or is it a part of you that's, yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are exciting. These are exciting, you know, things to look into. Uh, oh, yeah. I think so. Um, It'd be boring it, if we knew what was happening. Yeah. and then, But then sometimes, you know, I've been thinking this a lot lately, y'all. Like, I'll find myself saying something, you know, proto-Jungian or um, Hansenian. And I'm like, this kind of sounds like BS as I'm saying it. Like, I can see, I can see why a pragmatic person would say... That's just a bunch of psychobabble, you know. Um, I think that's important. I think that I think that my crowd, including myself, doesn't do that. You know, doesn't do that enough. You know, we say things like, you know, uh, we're imprisoned by language, but we. I mean, like, yes, it's true, but also there seem to be some strong tendencies for reality to be exactly as some of us represent it to be. <laughs> so like, where do you make that distinction? Where do you make that cut? Um, I don't know, but I've been finding myself sort of not withdrawing from that. Uh, Cause I still embrace that, that way of looking at things, but I, sometimes I do go, you know, it really does look like aliens. Like maybe that's what it is. I don't think it is, but. <laughs> well, if they're <laughs> aliens, they've been here for an awfully long time. They've been here an awfully long time, um, and they're also effing weird aliens, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, they're like, they're, I mean, and by, by which I mean like reality bending, you know, back to what Morgana said earlier, like telepathy ain't no technology, you know. Yeah. I mean, I know that we're sort of developing technology, I believe, to be able to see and image people's dreams, but that seems. It seems like there's an insurmountable gap between that and like deviceless, at least one way deviceless transmission of of voices. You know. Right. If we're both wearing something, maybe. Yeah, but, then that makes sense. But still, yeah. how are you getting the signal? Yeah. From place say, to well, place. Do we translate our thoughts into a radio wave that is then sent to a receiver that translates the radio frequency into words in your brain? Right. Like that or, would work. Well, you know, and, and again, I can see somebody speaking into something and have some bone inducting headphones, which I hear are really bizarre and awesome, and I would love to try them out. Um, 
You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that'll be, that'll be awesome. To tra- so I can see that, but I don't see anything for me to look at you and, and you know, maybe I've got a chip in my brain or whatever, but pretty sure you don't. And I'm just looking at you and I'm giving you thoughts or even, you know, impressions of things. Um, yeah. You could instantly hypnotize somebody somehow and then be implanting thoughts in their brains because they're hypnotized and you're actually saying something or doing something, but that's not how they're going to remember that because you're implanting suggestions. Oh, now see, you're getting all creepy and evil there. Sorry. (laughs) I don't like grays. I think they're creepy. Yeah, there they are. (laughs) Um, if I ever see one, I'm hitting it with a skillet or something. Like, just no. Do you remember the? Oh, Barbara, this sounds like something right up your alley. Do you remember this? Oh, this this lady who um who snapped a gray alien's neck. Yes. Yes. Good. Who is? I can't remember her name. I can't remember her name either. But she, yeah. She like grabbed its neck and just went, and, <laughs> and, and snapped it its neck in two. Yeah. yeah. Easy um, as snapping the neck of a chicken. Yeah, they seem pretty darn frail. Yeah. Well, and my theory is I've got a cast iron skillet. It works well in cartoons. Cartoons are a form of modern myth making for children. And, and iron, iron works on fairies. And it's a tool of my demise tool of my demises. I'm a cook. That's what I do. This is where my center of power is. Don't start double with me. trouble. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's the triple threat. Prime. And and, and yeah, make sure that you uh how do you clean out your cast iron? Do you do you scrub it with salt to, to clean it out? Um, if it's got something stuck to it, which it doesn't always, but yes, so, then yeah, I do the salt, salt and hot there, water. Yeah. yeah, just salt, problem iron, solved. Mythopoetic, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got all the, <laughs> yeah. All the bases covered. Yeah. So if you ever Plus hear about a great noise, slapped with a skillet, you'll know who did it. <laughs> exactly who did it. Yeah. I will bring the body if it doesn't dissolve. <laughs> yeah, you'll I'll get pickle it. I'll pickle too. it for you. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I feel like, but I feel like it, I feel like it would, right? Like, oh, it would totally probably dissolve. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of like angel hair and the angel lady hair. Right. Do a so, like, jar. did the lady who snapped its neck have it disappear? Because they bring injured ones away. Yeah, I, th- I think they drug it away. I think they drug it away in that story. Never leave um, a gray but... behind. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Well, that's the same thing you hear sometimes with, with Bigfoot stories, like this, yeah, the Siege of Hodabi story. Yeah. Um, but like you've got the angel hair thing, and you've got uh, you've got the way that ectoplasm sort of vaporous as well. Yeah. And seemed and seemed photophobic, which I find absolutely fascinating, and I think that has some pretty big implications as well. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it would just dissolve like you remember the before they were actually like all about fidelity in the video games like sometimes you'd like i don't know like the late 90s or whatever you'd kill 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 an oh, enemy yeah, and they'd, they'd sort of just they'd just melt away yeah 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 not exactly like that well, all right this makes okay we are all just in a video game and that is what the grays are <clears throat> d-res <laughs> No, okay. I've, they I've come got, into play. I've got to check out because I, I I have such a problem with simulation theory. Am I the only one here? I don't particularly like simulation theory no, either. I, um, I just I I think that there's an assumption that. So the the way I've thought about it is, 
we would all agree that the next level up would be is highly likely to be alien to the point of perhaps even being unrecognizable, right? That's a that's a distinct possibility, right? Yeah. So why are we assuming that whatever that reality is would build something that we are fond of building in this reality, you know? <laughs> I just I, I, I always can't wrap my head around that. Um oh well we do it here, so that's I mean that's the same thing as plagued ufology forever, right? The idea that like, oh well we do it this way. We catch and release bears, you know, we catch them and we tranquilize dart them and uh and then we study them and then we throw them back where they were. That must be exactly what the aliens are doing. You forgot the radio collar. That's what the implants are. That's right. That's right. Yep. The radio collar is the implants. Um I think but yeah. I don't really I'm not fond of simulation theory, mostly because I understand that everybody's perception is t- formed by their own brains, but that I I'm sorry that unless your servers are really good, I don't understand how you would have the technological capacity to run a simulation program for all of us and not have it be buggy. Well, again, if we're talking about this next level of being unknowable, like I don't have a problem with that. If maybe it's tech, it it's going to break. Maybe, yeah, maybe it is buggy. Tech, maybe that's break. All technology breaks <laughs> at yeah. some point. The grays are the literal bugs, Kendra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, that's probably too pragmatic of me, but. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was. It's just, I, 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 do, I will say that I think, to your point, um, everybody's talking about like living in some sort of virtual reality, and I don't see the way that anybody does that without some sort of direct neural interface. Like, plugged into your brain because there's the motion sickness you have to get through the physical sensations. Like the only thing that we've got a market on is like, like sight and hearing, you know? Yeah. And everything, everything else has these giant insurmountable problems. Like there's the spatial problem. There's the motion sickness problem. There's the, the tactile problem. Taste. Dreams. I mean, like, yeah, theoretically, you could have somebody just like you could have Jeeves standing there with like, <laughs> you know, every flavor of like whatever you could possibly touch or lick, right? Like, so he's got like a swatch of the car of, of the carpet, and just in case you decide you're gonna lick the uh, the carpet, he like holds it underneath, you know, underneath you. But at, yeah, at what point, you know, at what point uh, does does you know? At what point do you just make the map the territory, right? You know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still. I'm still stuck with Jeeves because I'm seeing Jeeves from Wooster and Jeeves, yeah. like thousand like uh, fabric swatches with like scratches <laughs> and like. Or Stephen Fry is following you underneath, your, wafting it underneath your nose. You know. So I like. I think unless we interface with people's brains and they're like catatonic, which like you know, the matrix. not a lot. Not yeah, exactly. Not and and not a lot of, not a lot of momentum forward on that right now, right? Like it's still a pretty huge gap to to bridge. I don't think we'll be there. Know. Five five dried grams in silent darkness is a is a better virtual reality simulator. I would imagine, having yeah. never done it myself. Um, but I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that's why virtual reality sucks, kids. 
<laughs> and, and that's why The Matrix was a much less good film than uh, Dark City. I'm just saying. Just saying. My, Dark my City favorite. had grays in it, so... Yeah, I, I I imagine what a Dark City franchise would have looked like. That would have been really cool. Yeah. As, instead, we got the Matrix, which was yeah. Okay. I mean, it was it, it was not aged fine. well. It hasn't aged well. Yeah, I, th- I feel like by the time they they came around to the third one, there was a lot of fart sniffing. You know, <laughs> there was a lot of you know. Oh, this is so awesome. Hmm. Um. But. Uh, no, it makes sense. It was it was the future. It was 1999. We decided to just double down on on all the machines. Um, and black. I need, which reminds me, I need to go back and rewatch Dark City because it's been forever since I've seen it. I think I've only seen it twice, and yeah, I've I'm going to show it to the to the 15 year old so so he can. Yeah, understand. I think. And I think last time I saw it was had to have been like. 2008 or 9 or something. Like a long time ago. Long. What you don't need to watch is The Color Out of Space. Why? You didn't you didn't enjoy it? I liked parts of it actually. I thought parts of it were really well done and I love Nick Cage getting to Nick Cage it up. <laughs> so I made a horrible decision. Um there there may have been I may have had a friend over who may have given me an edible substance. <laughs> and that's not what you want to do when you watch <laughs> the color out of space. Okay. That would it's have hard. been it, awesome. It was hard. It was no, it made, it made me like, I went back and rewatched it and I was like, Oh, this isn't nearly as existentially terrifying as I thought right. it was the first well, time. Because I was just is... like, I was sweating in a cold sweat and I was just... Like, I really liked how a lot of it was done. I really did. I liked how it was updated. I liked how the color had effect on how they... It had EM effects on things. I was like, that's really cool. Mm. I really appreciate that. My problem is, is that I wrote a research paper about it and the fall of the House of Usher and Night on Bald Mountain linking them all to corruption. And so I was like, why are you putting Hollywood moments of terror onto this? It doesn't need it. And my boyfriend's like, that's how they have to make money, honey. Not everybody's a geek like you. <laughs> yeah, as as long as we're in the business of like shattering people's dreams about virtual reality, let's go ahead and shatter their dreams that there's ever going to be a really good, faithful Lovecraft adaptation. Yeah, there's that not. Gets it. I just don't think you can do it. There's just not. Um, you know, I... I I, I I read, I think the script leaked for Guillermo del Toro's version of At the Mountains of Madness, and it's just, it was not. Oh, no, I was so excited for that. No, it was like Ron Perlman was going to, it was, it was, it had a little bit too much aliens in there. You know? mm. Not like aliens like extraterrestrials, but like aliens like the sequel to Alien, that sort of a feel. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big Ron Perlman guy, but. Uh, that is not yeah, a action movie I, story. I don't want Ron Perlman in my Lovecraft adaptation. Nor do I unless want Tom. Nor do I want guy, Tom Cruise. Right? Unless he's the guy who goes crazy at the beginning of the story and like murders all the sled dogs in the night, because Ron Perlman does a really good crazy. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't want Ron Perlman with a shotgun, which I think is what was happening. Oh, yeah, that's you sad. Know. That's yeah. a no. Uh, so yeah, I think it was kind of a blessing that that happened. Um, 
happened the way it did. You know, actually, somebody said this a while back, and I tend to agree with them. You know, so my favorite Frank Zappa song is Weird Al's Genius in France. (laughs) Um, (laughs) By which I mean, like, it's the distillation of Frank Zappa in a way that Zappa can't be distilled himself because he's, you know, <laughs> a little bit too self-serious in some ways. He's not serious, but he there's sort of a, yeah. So similarly speaking, I think that the best Lovecraft movie is um, At the Mouth of Madness. The, uh, the John Carpenter, Sam Neill joint, um, which kind of, I think, gets the closest to a lot of that Lovecraft feel. Yeah. Another movie I need to rewatch, but I think, I think that that uh, that gets that gets closer than a lot of the actual straight up Lovecraft adaptation. Then I will watch that soon because my boyfriend was like, "This is not what I thought it was going to be." Like he's like, "You've explained Lovecraft to me before. This is not as Lovecrafty as what I thought it would be." Yeah, get, get, watch it and get back to me on that. Okay. Yeah, um, I think I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And listen to Genius in France while you're at it. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so hungry ghosts. Um, yeah. <laughs> we took a real left. We took- no, but you know, you you, you, did, you did mention something early on, Barbara, that that I think is really important, which is you know we don't think about a lot of these Eastern concepts. Um, you know, as a culture, we don't, but as as like ufologists slash fourteens, we sure as hell don't. Like you know, you can you can fit the number of of ufologists with an Eastern focus inside a thimble. Right. Um, but I think we do that at our own peril because, uh, you look at something like the description of the Bardo experience and it sounds like a pretty accurate reading of, of what happens, you know, I mean, like Jung said, so NDE, researchers have said so like it seems like it's it's a territory that if it, it feels like a territory that's been mapped as opposed to speculation yeah um and i think that's that that implies that there are traditions there that should be listened to <laughs> should be looked sure. at listened to thought about um, you know, the reason that I, I came up with the whole, it, actually, I wasn't the one who blurted out Hungry Ghost. It was Morgana. It was because I was reading A New World and I'm like, there's just something wrong here. There's something that's really bugging me. Now, granted, my experiences with those little big headed creepy guys, if they were experiences at all, have not been terribly positive. And so I may be biased, but I've just never liked them. But reading A New World, I was like, okay, I get this, I get this, I get this. And then I was like, wait a minute, you're being deceived. I feel like you're being deceived. I feel like there's deception happening. And then I get, you know, to like a page 173 and he says they're hungry for our souls. And I was like, you know, and, and I, I get a phone call. Yeah, she got the phone call. And I was like, hey, there's a reading? point in every book that she's reading where I get a phone call. Oh, have you read this? Are you reading this? Yes, I'm reading it, mom. You told me to read it. I was like, have you gotten to this is like he wants he's very careful to say this isn't possession when he allows them to experience his 
his mind and his his experiences, his physical experiences. But at the same time, he's very clear that they are consuming something of him. And I was like, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Linon she, because the implant that that comes in his eye is like a download, and he says it basically inspires his writing. It's like somehow interfacing right. with his subconscious. So that's kind of like the Linon she, but and then Morgana said, "Mama, they're hungry ghosts," and that's why it's bugging you. And that of course, brings up Joe Fisher's The Siren Call of Hungry Ghosts, which is probably one of the, it's one of the books that I throw at people after Valet and Keel and, uh, a, you know, like one or two other books, usually, usually Keel and Valet and then The Siren Call of Hungry Ghosts as sort of a cautionary tale. So I want to I want to put a pin in, in the siren call, and I want to I definitely want to come back to that because I think there's some good stuff to talk about with that. I would ask you if the sort of uh, I don't want to say schizophrenic for a lot of different reasons. If the dual mindedness of what Whitley writes in a new world is self-deception confusion stockholm syndrome or is it something more along the lines of set and setting i wonder about that i wonder if what he's saying is essentially a kind of warning that these creatures have mostly been positive with him after a certain point but then they are dangerous. They are predators. They are hungry for our souls. He also says some of the less um, ethically minded of them will consume people whole. And I, I was kind of like, dude, dude. And yet you're giving the information of how you commune with them to other people. What I think about it is old occultist books like even even back to paracelsus will say unless you are an initiate unless you are good at this <laughs> don't do don't try this at home more or less it boils down to unless you are really serious about seeking this knowledge unless you are brave enough or smart enough or wise enough don't even try this because you will get burned. Which and there's is, also a challenge. Sorry. I feel like, sorry, you're good. I also feel like there's kind of a challenge issued through him. Are you brave enough? Are you the right type of person to contact us and work with us? And this is, this is sort of the, the, um, <clears throat> the alchemical slash, Altered states of conscious warning, consciousness warning too, right? It's uh, the dry way versus the wet way. It's the quick, dangerous rocket ship to the moon. It's the heroic dose of mushrooms. Or it's the slow, methodical climb to the top. It's meditation. How do you get there? Um, 
And I think it's interesting that the past, I think, too, what we might be seeing in, in a new world is that the experiences he was having were happening a lot younger. And there was a lot more of that, you know, piss and vinegar, I guess, um, that we all have. <laughs> some, yeah. more, some more than others. Um, as, as opposed to him growing up and mellowing out and, you know, being humbled. I think there was, um, there's a, there was, I can't remember what book it's in. I think it appears in a couple of different books where like the greys, uh, the visitors rather, sorry, sorry, Whitley, the visitors um, drain his bank account. <laughs> he, 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 or it was like a, he, that, that, that's a reduction, but he, he was thinking that he was on top of the world and he was, you know, big and bad. And his, uh, his financial advisor called him and said, I'm, I'm sorry, you don't have any funds available. There, there's nothing in your account. And then he made some sort of uh, atonement, humbled himself. And then they're like, oh, yeah, it was just an error. They called, they called him back. It was just an error, a clerical error or something. You see, I don't like uh, that. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's skillet time. So, 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 yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I had this, I had this, uh, I had this, uh, you know, put up or shut up sort of moment this past weekend. I went, uh, I've been very, very neglectful. I, for the first time went to Fort mountain, Georgia, um, which is like an hour and a half to the North. Um, not very far. Um, I made a little bit, little video, which I'm going to put online at some point, uh, after I edit it. Um, but, uh, it's the site of a, of an old, they call it fort, but it's, they say it's not really used for fortifications. Well, Half the ring forts in Ireland probably we weren't either, but we still call them forts. Neither here nor there. But there's a there's a stone wall that's 885, 884 feet long, and uh, nobody knows who who built it. The Cherokees said it was built by the Moon Eyed people, and of course, you know the people who want to say that mound builders were white people or that they were you know Welsh who came over who built it say oh that was you know it was it was the Welsh it was this that the other. Um, but if you read the the, the Moon Eyed people, they're like they're kind of they're, they're nocturnal. Moon Eyed might mean big eyes, short, white, and were driven sort of literally or figuratively underground or slaughtered by the uh, by the creek. It's it's sort of up for debate. They're, they're fairies, right? They're fairies. Um, whatever that means, like us attributing monuments to fairy folk. I think that I mean that's interesting. I find that interesting. That's a universal constant that we say. You know, yeah. this thing that was definitely built by human hands. Once we get some distance from it, we say we tend to say fairy folk or giants. Um, I think that says something about what happens to us <laughs> after we die. But um, I bring all that up to say about not liking things interfering in your life. I was like, I'm going to take a <clears throat> not, not 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 a big rock, but I'm going to take a small rock from the site. I'm going to take a small rock from the site. Why would you do that? Well, because I, because I don't have because Morgana, I don't have any. Nothing ever happens to me in this capacity, right? Oh, so you're gonna go poke but, the bear, right? Right, exactly. But then I was okay. like, I was all, I was all. Up to you were such because, a dude. You were such a dude. Only dudes well, do things like this. But here's the thing, right? Like, I'm I'm down for the I'm I'm down for having the crap scared out of me. At three in the morning, I'm saying this now. It's something's going to happen to me. <laughs> I, 
they're so cute. When in, they're... The, in that in that moment, I can conceptualize. Because, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that, like, I draw the line at personal health, personal finances, health of family members, health of yeah. pets, help. You know, right. So I was like, okay, well, that's that's not worth it. No, that's not worth it. Um, and you know, that's that's definitely what I mean. That's that's plenty of stories like that. Like half the stories about people. You know, taking rocks from Hawaiian volcanoes or like a rock from Uluru or something. It's it's not like oh, I was visited by a ghost at, at three a.m. It's like oh, my wife left me and you know, I got cancer. And I was like, that's not that's not. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to invite that. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like okay. I oh. I had people asking me to bring home rocks. I'm like, no, mm-mm. <laughs> no. I got a couple pebbles off the beach, and that was it. I'm like, Iceland stays in Iceland. I couldn't even I couldn't even bring myself to bring a rock from like a non monument in in our in Ireland. Like I'm gonna take a rock from the shore and I'm like, well this feels still feels kinda weird. I don't know. So yeah. I yeah, didn't, that, but that, uh Yeah. Yeah. Um I feel like you could trade for a rock from a non monumental place. That might oh, be Oh, like safe. leave one like leave a rock? Yeah. One? Like bring a rock from your home t- from your home, and be like here equal exchange maybe. <laughs> maybe like like the Indiana Jones uh, switching out of the idol for the for this <laughs> bag of sand. Yeah, <laughs> like do some gifting. <laughs> yeah, maybe. They maybe. do like offerings. Um, yeah, don't don't take a piece of a of a Moonite people built wall. That seems like asking yeah, for I, it. I know, yeah, I know, I know. Well, I did, I didn't, I didn't. Okay, that's, that's the bottom line. So I didn't. He thought about um, it. Okay, because I was a little worried. Um, it, it, it's it's an interesting site. Um, it's not nearly as interesting as you know uh, some of those Irish sites, but uh, it's interesting enough to be ninety minutes away from me. You know, I would love to get up there at night. There's a campground there. Nothing preventing people from just going up and sitting up there at the at the fort overnight. Um, that would be really cool. Yeah, it would. Yeah, I'm thinking about finding a way to make it happen. Um, not a big camper uh, for several reasons. Um, uh, primarily the fact that I have a CPAP, which kind of makes it a little bit... You have to do, do some workarounds to make that work with camping. Uh, unless you have a sister who has a camper. So we'll have <laughs> to see what happens uh-huh. with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there is a real, it's, it's most prominent in the Southeast. It's not so much, if, if any of y'all know any differently, you know, let me know, but like a lot of it's, it's in the Southeast that you find the mounds associated, the mounds and the monuments sort of associated with, with fairy folks still. Um, and I don't think that it's. I don't perceive a European influence, although it's entirely possible that there might be some degree of conflation there. But I, I think that it really is a human impulse to sort of attribute Up little here, people mounds. The mounds are more the giants, right? And there have been some, you know, gi- supposed giant skeletons found with pygmy skeletons. Again, yeah, there's supposed to be a pygmy graveyard in Tennessee near yeah. Hawassi. And there's like there's a there's a park in Indiana that somehow has like six burial mounds and puckwudgies, which doesn't make sense for a lot of different reasons, but that's what people say. Um, and there's a 
a natural hill called Spirit Mound that was that the Sioux thought was a burial mound that has not some more little people associated with it that Lewis and Clark described, but I haven't found a lot of fairies associated with mounds in like the Ohio River Valley or anything. No, not that the mounds aren't weird. No, um, oh no, they're the weird, weird, but they don't they don't tend to have little people associated with them. Um, that's right. more of a. You're right. I think it's more of a southeast southeastern tribe, the five civilized tribes that that group yeah. of people. Um, yeah, we have mounds just like, I don't know, a couple miles from our house. There's the, the Wolf Creek mounds. Hmm. And, uh, a couple years ago, uh, a builder developer illegally destroyed part of one of them because it's a protected site. And, you know, after that, we started having all sorts of strange things happen. And, you know, we, we, we began to wonder if there wasn't some sort of cause and effect, but. You know, it's, it's, it's a fine line to walk, right? Because I, I I just got done writing extensively about the mounds and, you know, you don't want to fall back on these admittedly racist tropes the about non-native bound milders and the Indian burial mount, right? But at the same time, you have to address the fact that there does seem to be some spookiness associated with these places. And just like we would assume anywhere with any culture, disint- you know, messing with human remains isn't a good thing. Yeah, not, no. It's to a taboo thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and and trying to walk that line and also trying to walk the line of like, well, yeah, it looks like there were some legitimate large skeletons that they found. Doesn't mean that like it was some sort of, you know, superior white race that came over here and built them or something. It's so trying to walk that line is, is a real, is a real tightrope for sure. But, you know, you look at, you know, you look at some of the, especially like the pre- pre-excavation but also like pre pre-management i guess i'll say pictures of mounds at that t- at that point and like they look so much like these fairy forts that you'll still see in ireland that are you know untended like it's it's you throw up a picture of them together and it's 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 impossible to tell the difference you know um so you can kind of sympathize with why some people sort of made that connection but i think it doesn't speak to a shared civilization it, shared, it speaks to a shared humanity yeah, well, yeah, that's really what really what it is. And fairies and dead people just seem to go together, like I don't know, peanut butter and jelly. They, they can't get peanut butter and chocolate. You, you can't get away from it, that's for sure. And uh, honestly, aliens and the dead and dead people. Yeah, yeah, they and do. Hungry ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I love that every time we have you on, you're the Greek chorus that just tries to keep us on track, but also is one of the ones who hairs off. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I just, I just, don't, <laughs> I just don't want you to feel like, oh, we had Josh to talk on to talk about hungry ghosts, and we end up talking about virtual reality for like 15 minutes. But yeah, if, it doesn't if, matter. If, if the listeners point, are fine with that, I'm fine with that. I feel like they know by now that. <laughs> It's it's that where do the road go energy, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, 
So yeah, Joe Fisher and his his Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> his yeah. hungry ghosts. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, that book here before and basically this this man was investigating channeling and there were these past lives, these spirits that came through a channeler with past lives and and you know he supposedly had spent a past life with this woman named Philippa from Greece and there were other past lives mentioned for other people participating in this circle uh one was uh in the army or in the I think it was the RAF in World War II Mm -hmm. And so the author, Joe Fisher, went overseas to see if he could find confirmation of any of this because these detailed stories were coming through. And it was interesting. He could he could get some details about a pilot who was very similar to the the RAF man. But the details would be sort of off, like not quite exactly right and he talked yeah, so, so, yeah. yeah he talked with people who so, were in the unit that he supposedly served in and they remembered someone who was like this person but it was a different name yeah somewhere and, between like dead on and just off yeah, yeah yeah and it was just very very interesting and then he found absolutely no corroboration about the greek woman and and the story that he shared with her so when he who would essentially become his spirit guide almost yeah like she she was with him constantly and so he goes back to canada and reveals that you know he didn't find any proof um and what he did find was partially correct but a lot of it was just off and then he found absolutely nothing about you know the the greek woman and then the spirits became vengeful and became uh they basically ran him out of the circle and after that you know horrible things started happening to him and and he ended up dying mysteriously right yes some... yes he either jumped off of a cliff or was pushed Um, and it's questionable in either direction as to which it could have been. Fit, fittingly ambiguous, right? Yes. You know, you know, the thing that I always find most inter interesting about this story is I've just got to ask well, the thing that always comes up is why was some of the information so specific and so accurate and some of it not? Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of different thoughts about that. One thing, one makes me think that it's somehow something about that sounds like I've heard something about that regarding remote viewing. Like sometimes there's, it's, it's shockingly specific, but there'll be some details that are off. So I'm wondering if that's not something that's at play. Not that he was remote viewing, but you know, the similar mechanism at play for right, the spirit right. world. I also think of like the, the, the defects of the fairies, the way that, you know, they'd be beautiful except for, Goat you feet, know. duck feet. Yeah, exactly. Goat feet, which you'll see with gin folklore too. You know, there was there, there's one part of their body that they can't get right. 
So it's kind of like that on an informational level, right? Um, but the other thing that I think is really interesting too is that um, I think it was, I think it was Greg was wanting to. Well, maybe I shouldn't use a story from because I'm not sure it was. Um, but there are instances of people. He told me this that one of the things that when people want to send like coded messages, sometimes there'll be things like deliberate misspellings that will be, so you could have something that's read by the general public and they're like, Oh, it's typo. But that typo means something specific to the person it's intended for. And I wonder if there's not something like that that's going on too. Um, Because I think for, for something, for some reason that feels like a real linchpin for the whole story. Yeah. That, 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 that missing or that, that uh, incorrect information, because otherwise, you know, he would have, you know, he would have <laughs> like lived his life for this Grecian, <laughs> this, you know, Grecian girl that he was talking to through the, through the, through, through the medium. And because that didn't, because some of that information didn't come through, it really changed his entire perspective. So I think that's like the most important part of the story. And I, I want, I feel like there's something significant in there and as to what it is, I guess it's anybody's, anybody's guess. I wonder, I, one possibility, which is the woo possibility is, well, there's a couple woo possibilities, I guess. One possibility that I believe was said as justification by the RAF man was, well, I'm dead. I can't remember exactly right. That would be me. That would be me, actually. Basically. Like, the details of of my living world are so far away and things happen to you after death. You're right. That was the excuse given. You're right. Well, yeah. Look, do you want song lyrics? Because those are going to be spot on. But if you want details about my life, it's going to be a little hazy. I'm going to be Kendra, the ADHD ghost. <laughs> it's, 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 the, it's a spinoff of Casper. <laughs> Kendra, <laughs> the ADHD ghost. Yes. Friendly, but we have no idea where we are. <laughs> Nor do we know why we are. We just are. Yes. The most distracting ghost. We oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, a chicken. um i guess the other woo possibility and we've we've talked about this with andy mercer um which is that the channeler was actually psychic and was telling people what she was pulling from their minds as was important to them um yeah in which case she could have been remote viewing that reminds me, that's an excellent point. And that's the one thing that I think is sort of going to, is, is the kind of hurdle that I don't know if Psy will ever, ever be able to, Psy Research will ever be able to get across, right? Like, so I think they'll be able to eventually prove beyond a reasonable doubt if it's not there already, honestly, um, the existence of certain Psy phenomena. But when it comes down to interacting with spirits, I think the best we'll ever be able to do is say it could be a spirit and it could be yourself or it could be your psychic ability. You know, I think that's going to, I don't think there's ever going to be any way to to sort of prove that. I think it's, that's, it's kind of that, like that, that, uh, that hurt those hurdles that I was mentioning with VR. Like, I think it's, that's the hurdle that I don't think psi phenomena is going to be able to get across. I think it's just always going to be ambiguous. So that's, that's, that's a really good point. Like there, 
you can take that thinking too far, right? Um, I know there's a there's a gentleman that was interviewed who was involved with the Stargate project who was saying that near death experiences weren't near death experiences. There's no such thing. It was actually like a retro causal time loop of them remembering that they remembered what happened in the room or something to that effect. And it's like, okay, call up Occam. <laughs> call up Occam. <laughs> Tell him someone's multiplying unnecessarily, right? Uh, but yeah. The underpants uh, gnomes again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've come yeah. with some ideas and step one remote viewing step two step three profit <laughs> exactly that's why it's a woo idea <laughs> no but i mean it's but i i mean it's in some ways in some ways that's kind of more here's 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 another word peewee peewee's word of the day parsimonious right <laughs> but but it is something like you know we we I think we can all certainly say that we have thoughts and remote viewing seems to exist and psychic seem to exist. So we have all the constituent, you know, we have all the components there for that to be a possibility for sure. Yeah. Um, but then the question is why? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a really good question. Like, why would you make up Philippa? Yeah. Like, I mean, because he was in a happy relationship at the time, right? Yeah, like, yeah not very, not for a while. Not well, after he started running around with this crap. Well, right, but but prior to that. But before right? that, yes. Yeah, he, he had a girlfriend. They'd moved in together. Yeah, so you wouldn't think it would be, I mean, not so it's not self loathing. It would be like self sabotage, maybe. I don't know. But what's interesting is the way that he was told to meditate to contact Philippa and be in contact with her without the medium was very similar to what Whitley talks about in A New World. It is almost exactly the same. And uh, what he's doing is a meditation technique developed by Gurdjieff. So it, that's a. It, I looked at that after Morgana said hungry ghosts. I ran and, you know, got my book and went through it and was like, oh, yes, that is almost exactly the same thing that the spirits told him to do to contact Philippa. Um, well, that, I mean, that, you know, I mean, you know why that makes sense, right? I mean, Whitley's a big Gertrude guy too. That's true. Um, Yeah, um, but I, I had not put that together. I'm just taking notes over here, y'all. <laughs> gonna be a lot of thank yous in that thank you section. The whole six DJK <laughs> family. <laughs> um, yeah i I need to know more about Gurdjieff, and I don't. Um, I, I have a Gurdjieff hole. Yeah, I haven't read about him in years and years and years. Like, I, I read about him when I was a teen. Because nerdy. But 
Yeah. And witchy. Witchy nerdy, nerdy witchy. girl. And Star Trek. Oh, yes. you, Star you Trek. both wanted to be Mr. Spock and a witch at the same time, which I find utterly hilarious and fascinating and explained so much about my family all in one, like, just factoid. So, you know, I've been thinking about this, like, and I've been trying to to force this square peg into this round hole of, of Spock being a, a fairy. I don't think it quite works, though. Uh, he no. was a pointy-eared leprechaun, according to Dr. McCoy. Well, I mean, yeah, so there's... So a leprechaun with an thing. overactive thyroid. <laughs> Is that an actual line from that bone yes. shed? Yes. Oh, man, it's funny. Um... Okay, so, so uh, powers of sleep, inducing sleep. Yes, mm-hmm. with a touch. Twenty ears, with a touch. Point, musician. Twenty, 20 ears, mu- musician. Telepathy. You could you, you telepathy. You could construe the logic as sort of being the amorality of the fairies. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Especially um, mirror universe Spock. He he. Mm. Mm. I mean, because let's face it, like Rodden, well, if if Roddenberry was the primary driving force, there seemed to be some, from what I understand, some uh, some military fingerprints on on the original series. But like Roddenberry was definitely as interested in the occult as he was. Oh yeah, you know. You know um, with all the stuff, it's not quite my ballywick, but I, I listen to it on and off about listen to other shows people, where people talk about him being involved tangentially with the with the nine the summoning of the nine at Esalen, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, and culminating in Deep Space Nine and some of those plot those plot threads, which kind of start to get real occult. You know that that brings me to something else that I find. Um, Interesting slash frustrating. So, Kendra, having just come back from Iceland, have you? Did you watch Katla? I did. Oh, you did. Yeah. So you tell the story. <laughs> I feel bad because I haven't. I've asked him. I'm like, I, I put the question out there. Can I? Anyway, my second Airbnb. I go. I I see the guy, and I'm like. Oh, he looks really familiar. Why does he look familiar? <laughs> it's a small island, right? Yeah, he was he was in Kala. He was in Kala. I'm like, it took me a little while, and I saw a little note from Netflix that said, "Thank you for your work." And I'm like, that's what it is. So that's yes, like, I've seen it. <laughs> was he an extra, or is he a? Was he a? He was a, he was a ferryman. Line. It wasn't a very long part. Oh, okay, I think I maybe yeah. remember that. He's that's a really nice, and he has an A or B and B, and if if you're in Iceland, stay there. I mean, he's fantastic. Um, well, since we've all seen it, can we put in a spoiler a spoiler alert? Because I had a real problem with with uh, some of the hand waving that happens towards the end. Um, <laughs> I think you you probably have an idea where I'm going with this, but it's like, oh, there were changelings, and you know, there's some they sort of play with that a little bit differently than they should have. That's fine. Whatever. Fine with that. But they're like, the changelings and the hidden folk. And, and what if, what if there's science behind the myths and their science behind the myths 
is again spoilers, everyone. So turn. I wrote the down the time stamp so I can okay, okay. do it. Show notes if you don't there, want a spoiler. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, Barbara. Appreciate You're it. welcome. The, the, their science behind the myths is that an asteroid fell fell and it's duplicating people. Like <laughs> like. That's still magical yeah. thinking. Like that's wow, 100% that is, magical thinking. That is, mm. um, yeah. And I'm like, it, it, and it, it, it's the same reason that I go off on rants about uh, the way that people treat dimensions when they're talking about these topics. Right? They're treating it like you know sliders or like <laughs> it's a place you can go. Right? And that's I don't think that's quite. Yeah what it is and i think i think i think it's a lot i want to say parsimonious again jeez i think i think i think think word i think it's a lot cleaner there we go a lot cleaner and and tidier if less scientific sounding because i'm not sure it's less scientific but less scientific sounding to say we're talking about other worlds like you know you know what i mean like it's just uh, you, you say you say dimensions because it sounds sciencey, but it's really not that sciencey. Um, you know. Yeah. It's 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 unfalsifiable, and it's I don't know. So that so that was what really struck me is it's like, you know, oh, it's it's a it's a magical, uh, it's a magical r- replicating rock from the sky. Like <laughs> that's basically what. You're telling me just because it's spacey, right? Just because it's spacey yeah. means it's scientific, and it's like, well, you know, um, for some reason that really bothered me. I don't know if you can tell, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad that somebody else is bothered by a piece of media with a meteorite in it, and it wasn't only me. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's the theme, yeah, yeah. Um, so why isn't Spock a fairy? Because like, everything you've said makes sense to class him as a fairy, so well, that, that, that's I mean, that's well, I said he was, and you said he wasn't, or something. No, I no, you you said you were trying to fit a square peg into a round hole by making well, Spock just, a fairy, and it makes sense. I I I guess I guess it's that irony that like, sorry, Barbara, <laughs> that like st- there's this be, being a big Star Wars guy all my life, right? Like you know. <laughs> Um, oh. like like involved in Wikipedia, right? Like oh. so, we're talking about like you know. Um, I feel like there's this there's been this sort of like attitude where Star Trek is like, well, we're the scientific show, <laughs> and, and you know, scientific franchise, right? And and you guys are the ones. Who and are- then they go slingshotting around the sun, and and it's all out the window. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. So on I, guess, that. I guess I guess you have guess. space wizards. It's easy for you to go. Well, obviously, Spock's a fairy. Well, well, yeah. I mean, like, I, I guess, I guess the, uh, yeah, I guess it's there's this there's this uh, veneer of plausibility to the idea that we could wind up with a Star Trek future, like, you know. I mean, I don't think we had a Star Wars pass. I th- pass. I think Hubbard might disagree on that assessment. He has I don't space bearing talking plans too, so I really don't <laughs> care what he has to say. But I don't think we had a Star Wars past or a uh, or, or 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 a Star Trek future awaiting us. Um, you know, we I might just... have a Bab Five future. 
I think we've got a Mad Max future, but that's I don't even have to ask the question because that's yeah the where Mad I think Max we're unfortunately happens, headed though before Star Trek happens. There's there's a long period of time before humans get to the Star Trek. That's true. There's some pretty horrible, genocidal, terrible, blowing crap up things that happen. So we got some eugenics wars to go through. Yeah. 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 Um. What we're not going to get is Waterworld. Just yeah. on the coasts. We'll only get that on the coast. We're going to have Water Wars, not Waterworld. Yeah. Good, but I, I don't want Kevin Costner, wasn't he, in that terrible movie? Yes. He yeah, he, can, he, he can just go away. I don't know. I don't want that. Mm-mm. Um, I hear that the director's cut is better, but... I, I don't have patience. I just don't. Yeah. If I, I want to watch like something it is a with, good bad movie. Like, if I want to watch a good bad movie. Water in a ship and terrible things happening, I'll watch Master and Commander because it starts with trepanation and that's cool. Master and Commander is pretty good though, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, I thought so. I had fun. I, I mean, I got to talk about a movie I haven't seen in 15 years, but um But there is a fairy in Star Trek and it's not Spock. It's the Squire of Gothos. It's Trelane. I don't know this at all. He moves Nerd. atoms. He rearranges atoms. That's how he does everything. Like Whitley's visitors. Yeah, exactly right? like the visitors. He dresses like he's from the 18th century. He makes up all this crap. He's an energy being. And he's an he's probably not an infant. He's probably like about nine or ten years old, human terms. But his parents leave him on this unlivable planet and he makes this little section for the humans to come play with him and he treats them like toys Wait, and his parents come and you know, spank him. The Squire of Gothos is the name of the episode and it's Trelane. And then Q yeah. occurs in Next Generation. Yeah, I was going to say and I'm Q like, is definitely Q is either Trelane grown up or related to Trelane or from the same race. Yeah, um, although, like, there's almost something with, oh, yeah, I've never seen this episode, The Squire of Gothos, sorry. Um, there's there's a almost lot of something archisms with, in it, so you'll like it. It's it's, it's almost like the, the, the thing with Q is almost more of like a, uh, a Norn or, a, or one of the Fates or something, right? Almost, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. there's a little bit more of that that less uh, less um. It's less capricious, I guess. I mean, it's, it's still capricious, but it's not quite like Trelane it's, it's like, is oh, much more actually has, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what occurred to me a while back is that uh, is that I'm sure somebody else has made this this um connection, but the a Christmas Carol is is like a classic spirit abduction story oh yeah there's you know there's there's time compression so not missing time but time compression um you've got uh you know a bedroom visitation uh they all three kind of might be aspects of himself um which is actually sort of alluded to i think in the jim carrey version he he plays all three versions of himself um 
you have uh, the spiritual awakening afterward, right? Yeah. Uh, like like some experiences have. Uh, or something else that was something else that was I can't remember what it was, but yeah, it's it, it's I was actually like, oh, this is actually kind of it's actually kind of tidy in that way. Yeah. I'm sure Dickens knew the the source material too, so it would seem that way. Bring back the Christmas ghost story. Yeah, spiritualism <laughs> was all the rage, so Yeah. That's what we should do for our next Christmas episode. We should include a Christmas ghost story. I love that. There we go. Yeah, I mean, it's a super spooky time of the year. I mean, like, you know, you're right. Oh, yeah. Writing about a lot of old folklore lately, and it's always like, this thing appeared around Yuletide. This thing appear appeared around Twelfth Night. This time, you know, all this stuff. Um, it is the dark time of the year. Yeah, bring back spooky Christmas. All about spooky Christmas. Just you hit you hit September in the last four <laughs> months of the year. Art <laughs> is that a Krampus? Krampus. That's cr- nice, nice. <laughs> Krampus is literally within arm's reach of me. <laughs> um, yeah, just make the last four months of the year just spook, spooky. Yeah. I mean, Halloween's my favorite holiday, so I, if we could just get to Halloween and stay in spooky all the way. See, but where you are, it actually feels like fall. It feels like autumn up there when it actually hits October. Like, down here, it's just like summer too. the sequel. <laughs> unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Should we? Yeah, I think we've more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, I I guess we all. Sorry. I rambled again. I took no, everybody off you, course, and mm-mm. we went off we course fine. too. You started talking about Star Trek. Am I gonna just you know herd dog <laughs> you know sheep dog you back to Hungry Ghosts? No, I'm not. I'm just not. Well, I I'm think gonna, we I think we covered some good Hungry Ghosts here. Did. We did. Mm-hmm. We totally did, and we had some really good tangents. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was great. All right, thank you for coming and, and visiting us again. As always, favorites. thank you for coming back. Yeah, thank you. Absolute pleasure. I resonate so well with all three of you, and uh, I I, I kind of feel like I'm, I gush sometimes uh, whenever I'm on here, but it's it's always a wonderful conversation, and well, thank I you. Uh, am happy to come back whenever I can. Okay, we feel Excellent. the same. And yeah, if we if this if the podcast was a house, the door would always be unlocked for you. Oh, thank yeah. you. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. (laughs) 